0: who are part of music and band practice Wednesday, family night on Thursday, Friday. Um, There's usually you stuff going on Friday into the weekend. Saturday is harvest and back in the house of God. Amen. I'm glad to be here tonight. Amen. I feel his presence and his touch in the house of God tonight. So let's open the word of God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter number five, verse number 22. We'll read 22 through 33. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 22. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus had a special place in Paul's ministry. We'll read some other verses from Acts chapter 20. that tells us exactly uh, some of the things that he said to the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus is in a magnificent place, um, an ancient city that you can still visit today and see some of the ruins and the culture and civilization. Paul was there ministering, established a church there. And so here he is writing to the Ephesians, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he says in chapter five, verse number 22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. I want to talk to you tonight about a greater vocation, a greater vocation. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your presence and your word. And we thank you for the spirit that we feel in the house of God. And we pray that you would direct and guide us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Praise God. God bless you. Can be seated? This is an amazing passage of scripture. And it is a passage in which he's talking about marriage. And he's talking about the importance of the relationship between husbands and wives. He lays out some of the best marital counseling that you could ever get, which is right here. If a husband loves his wife like Jesus loved the church, he died for it. And if a wife will affirm and reverence her husband as the church responds to and thanks God for what he has richly done in Christ and the sacrifice that was placed there, things can be much, much easier. He's talking about a deeper truth than the relationship in marriage And he says that in verse number 32. He said, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So that is the reality. And from that, he's illustrating other relationships. But he's talking about the power of the church. And he's talking about how Jesus gave himself for it. He suffered. He despised the shame. He went to the cross and he died so that you and I could be in something that is called the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth amen Jesus died for the church Jesus established the church Jesus gave himself for the church history rests upon the fact that Calvary plants a flag in the first century and said moving forward from here when I am bodily uh, removed from you and resurrected into another place into the heavenlies there is still going to be something in the earth that's going to operate as the hands and feet of Jesus himself and that entity is called the church of the living God we are in it it's the greatest institution that you could ever be a part of it is the hands and feet of Jesus. It is what reaches out to the world and says there is something that is greater. There is a greater reality. It's a mystery to the world, but for those that understand and see through and have clarity and recognize I'm a part of something that is great. I'm a part of something that is powerful. I'm a part of the church. Hallelujah. you thankful to be in the church. Praise God. Jesus gave his life for it. And the Bible presents the church as an alternative society called to countercultural life in the spirit. I mean, as we're talking about counterculture right now, we're presently in a culture in which this passage of scripture flies in the face of the narrative. This is very, very clear that there is a husband. And that there is a wife and that it is God-ordained and there is a sanctity that is associated with that. And so there may be other opinions and other viewpoints, but for us who stand upon the word of God, God created and designed a man and a woman to become a husband and a wife for the betterment of families and society and culture. And so this is something that was divinely ordained and ordered by God. And so we lift up that standard and we say this is the standard of God. Praise God. This is something that God intended. This is something that God directed. And you can try to change it and you can weave other stuff into it. But ultimately, we as the church must stand firm and say this is the intention of God. We need to do everything possible within our power to be the husband that we need to be and the wife that we need to be so that we give a testimony to a world that is already looking at marriage and saying it's a failed institution. It's It doesn't work, and it's not worth it. There's got to be a church in a city called Bakersfield with families that are powerful, that testify to God's goodness, that illustrate God's love for the church. (laughs) Hallelujah. Come on, church, let's clap our hands and thank the Lord together. We need God in our relationships. We need God in our church. We need a church to be powerful and strong. And so Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus here. If you go back in Acts chapter number twenty. He spends some time in his missionary journey and he takes his side trip. And in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 26, he talks to them and he prays with them. This was a, a very, very important meeting. And he says in verse number 26, wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock. Over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, he's speaking to the elders of Ephesus, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. Paul was in Ephesus. For three years. Now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. This is a farewell address. He is leaving, which are able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. The church that he is talking about, that they are supposed to be the overseers that feed the church of God, is a church that is to rise up and be a strong alternative to society, that is counter-cultural, it is life in the spirit, it is not life in the flesh, but it is life in the spirit. The church is to be a colony of the kingdom, holding ultimate loyalty to Jesus Christ. This is opposed to the world that slavishly worships raw political power. In the first century, it was Caesar, and yet the church proclaims Jesus is Lord and in saying Jesus is Lord you are inferring that Caesar is not and so you're not calling Caesar by name but what you're saying is Jesus is Lord you know what sometimes we don't have to name call we just need to lift up the specter of Jesus praise God Jesus is greater than any other that settles it Jesus is more powerful and his kingdom is greater than any kingdom that is in the world we've got a greater vocation We're serving something that is greater than the kingdoms of this world. So when you say Jesus is Lord, you are making an emphatic statement. And in the first century, they were making an emphatic statement that could cost them their very life. There could be persecution that came their way. They did have difficulty in finance and monies, and there were these trade unions, and if you stood up and said Jesus is Lord, you might be cast out of the trade guilds and the unions. And so taking a stand meant sometimes that there may be persecution, but you had to have some convictions that were rock solid. It's no different in the first century as to what we need today in the 21st century. We need convictions that are rock solid. Praise God. I may be cast out of certain areas but God's going to be with me. I may be canceled but God's going to direct me. There may be doors that slam shut but I'm praying that God keeps his hand upon me and he directs me to a perfect work because I've got a greater vocation. I'm not an employee of this world. My vocation is not to do the dictates of this world. My vocation is to live for the king. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord together in this place. God has called us to greater things as opposed to a world of deadly power struggles. The church is self-sacrificial and serves others. This does not mean that we disengage from the world, but the world is not our primary vocation. We are in it, but we are not of it. And the New Testament speaks repeatedly of the early church confronting synagogues. Jesus went into the synagogues, the disciples went into the synagogues, and many times they were rejected from the synagogues. The New Testament talks about cult practices. The trade guilds were all connected to cult practices. And if you go, you can see even in the ruins how this was very much a practice. They were worshiping and serving the gods of the pantheon. And all of this was wrapped up in their trade guilds and occupations and vocations. And so the church had to confront some of these things. Cultic paganism and Greek philosophy. Don't be caught by the slight of men and cunning craftiness and vain philosophy. But be careful among all of those attacks and make sure that the word of God is what is driving and moving you forward. So the church is not to abandon earthly relationships and responsibilities But we are to transform these things, these earthly relationships and responsibilities by our regenerated life. God has transformed us into a greater vocation and so our vocation is to be transformative that transforms relationships and transforms responsibilities so that we are living at a higher plane a higher understanding we're involved in the kingdom of God and we're doing big work because God has called us to be the hands and the feet on this earth and our job is to testify and to proclaim and to prophesy That Jesus is Lord. This is my number one priority. I'm here to proclaim. Jesus is Lord in everything that I do. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 14. says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know that thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. ...which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth... ...and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. There's that mystery again that Paul is talking about. The musterion of godliness is that God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. He preached unto the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world and received up into glory. And because of that, he established the house of God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. This is not an insignificant news flash. This is a cataclysmic, earth-shattering announcement that there is something in this thing called the world that is great, that comes from heaven to the earth, and it is called the church. I don't care if the church that you're in is 20 people. It still has supremacy because God established it. It doesn't matter to me if there are 500 people. It's still the same church that God established, and it has supremacy and it is sovereign. It's doing the work of God. (laughs) Hallelujah. I want to press upon you here tonight. You have the privilege of being in the church. I don't know if I like the church. I don't know if I like the people in the church. God calls us into something that is greater. It's self-sacrificial. It's not about what I like and don't like, but it's about how great and how worthy he is. Therefore, I'll lay down some things because I recognize The privilege of being in the church. You know what? Some people feel let down by the church. They're disappointed by the church. They're disappointed by leadership in the church. And there are people in this building that have suffered spiritual abuse. But I'm here to tell you, I'm trying to convince you tonight that God is greater than any of the disappointments that have impacted your life because of the church. I want you to recognize and see maybe humanity is fallible and there's weakness and they may have let you down, but God's the one that instituted it. And in its pure form, that's what I'm looking for. The ideal of the church that Jesus died for so that somebody could come into a place and lay down their sins and their burdens and step into an introduction of a house of God that elevates them, brings to them peace and strength where they're filled with the Holy Ghost, when they're baptized in a name that is above every name, when they can walk away from their sins that have burdened them. This is what the church is. Thankful you're in the church. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter two and verse number nineteen. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens, fellow citizens, with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. <laughs> this is not just some flaky kind of structure here. But ladies and gentlemen, this thing called the household of God and the church is built upon the apostles and the prophets. Some of them that prophesied that never even saw the church, never experienced the. You go all the way back to Abraham. Abraham had a promise, but he never experienced what the church was the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah and all the prophets they never, they prophesied about it they talked about it, but they never had the opportunity to actually be in the church, and so Hebrews said they suffered all kinds of stuff having never received the promise but you and I in the house of God tonight sitting on a church pew, those folks worship God in caves and dens and all over the place, in the mountains, on hilltops, in valleys and here we sit in the house of God so blessed to be sitting on a church pew, and we some something that they prophesied about, but never saw. They were cursed, persecuted, and killed, and they never saw it. But we have the opportunity to be in the church, the household of faith. I'm telling you, you're in the greatest institution that is ever known to humanity. Are you thankful? Are you grateful? It's the household of God. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. The church, the church, when it gets it right, is so powerful. We've gone through, just recently, we've gone through uh, upheavals. COVID was an upheaval. And then along with that, there was political upheaval, and then you had racial upheaval. You had all kinds of stuff. And so there was a lot of confusion wrapped around that. And the church is powerful because this verse right here, there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. Everybody is welcome in the church. That's the message of the household of faith. And so the genius of the church is you don't have to get sidetracked by some political movement. You just talk about what the church is because the church is not discriminatory against anybody. The church reaches out to everybody because Jesus loves everybody and he calls everybody. That's what the church is. And so in other places, a lot of times churches try to ride the wave of whatever the political movement is. We don't need to be riding the cultural waves. We need to be ensconced completely in the scripture. And it's been good for many, many, many years, all the way back to the first century. We're in the 21st century. That's a lot of time. You know what we need to keep doing? We need to keep preaching the truth. We need to keep talking about the stuff that we're talking about tonight. And let the verses that we're reading tonight resonate in our life so that we can recognize we have something of value. We have something that is great. It's a mystery, Paul said, but if you can see what the end result of the mystery is, you have an opportunity for a greater vocation. We have a greater vocation. I'm just, I'm I, I maybe belaboring the point, but I'm trying to break through your mind because sometimes we come, park, get out of the car, walk in here, and sometimes the world has just eroded our tenacity and zeal and inspiration, and we come in weighted down by a lot of stuff, and life brings a lot of stuff, and sometimes we forget hey, you know what? I'm a part of the church. I've got a greater vocation, and Jesus is the King of the kingdom. What in the world? I have great opportunity before me to do. Great things under the auspices of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You're not going to get that on your job, I guarantee you. Even with the best boss that you can find, it's nothing like what Jesus brings to you. Your boss is going to give you a paycheck, but Jesus is going to wash you from your sins and usher you into a kingdom that is eternal. <laughs> The city and the county, they may have compensation plans. The entrepreneurial spirit, they may do something too, but they're not going to provide to you what the kingdom of God provides to you. Jesus is the CEO. Jesus, Jesus is the Lord of everything. And he's calling each and every one of us into a greater vocation. Are you grateful? Are you thankful? (laughs) Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. One of my favorite verses. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The church was of utmost importance. So much so that Christ gave his life for it. And it is our responsibility to put the same effort into building it up. Because there's a lot of things that will try to tear it down. There's a lot of forces trying to take it down. And this should cause each and every one of us concern. I'm not coming to you tonight building up a straw man. You know what a straw man is, right? You build up some kind of argument. It's a straw man. Then you try to tear down the straw man. I'm not building a straw man that is not really connected or related to reality only so that I can create an argument and drive a point. That's what a straw man is. And in reasoning, that's a fallacy. That's building a straw man may not even be. It may not even be this. This this I heard this today. There was somebody today pontificating that depending on the election, depending on who you elect You are deciding on whether or not you want a constitution of the United States. Well, that's a straw man. It doesn't matter who you're going to elect. We have a government and a constitution, and no matter who the president is, that is supposed to hold, hopefully, and it continues to hold, despite who goes into office. So somebody that's saying something like that is trying to create fear and put their finger on the scales to try to sway somebody. They've built a straw man to say, if this person goes in there, then the constitution is going to die. That's fear mongering. And for people that are smart, you can kind of weed through that and say, OK, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, that's 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 just a That that is is pontificating about stuff and trying to sway people that that are in their mind, they're weak in their mind, and they will gravitate toward that. So this is not a straw man I'm talking about when I'm talking about the concern of the church and forces that will try to array themselves against the church. And so I want to talk about just a few of those things and then give to us a greater hope at the end. But one of the things that will try to array itself against the church is the erosion of its identity. There is a great threat from the world and false doctrine. And Paul, when he's talking to the Ephesians, he has spent three years in Ephesus, three years of his life. He is working as a tent maker. And we actually had the opportunity to stand in the large business courtyard area where Paul would have been a tent maker and where he would have conducted a lot of his meetings. Three years he spent there. And so he spent a lot of time there. And then when he's leaving, he's saying, I'm praying for you because I know there are grievous wolves that are going to come in and they are not going to spare the flock. They're going to come in with teaching. They're going to be false prophets. And this was known in the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 1, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time not and their damnation slumbereth not they're not sleeping they are going to array themselves and they're going to try to erode the identity of the church second Timothy chapter 4 verse number 3 when Paul is writing to a young man in the faith he said for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables a force that is not slumbering, it is not sleeping, it is constantly trying to erode the doctrine and the teaching of the church. Amen. There needs to be constituents of the church that rise up and use the word of God skillfully, rightly dividing the word of truth so that they are furnished thoroughly and be able to say, No, we've got a word of God that speaks specifically to us. Repentance does matter, baptism in Jesus' name does matter. It's the only baptismal formula that is ever found in the New Testament and the early church. You need the baptism of the Holy Ghost in your life. You need the Spirit of God operating in your life. It is important. A world that will come in in the latter times, according to First Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1. The Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Jude said in verse 16, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. but." Beloved, remember you the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, not having the spirit. There is an attack. There is a force that comes. There is a sensual spirit that tries to reduce the effect of the testimony of the people in the church. I'm telling you, I'm preaching to you. I want to say to you, get some convictions. Kevin Bradford, get some convictions. The word of God reveals to us we need conviction. We live in a world that if you're not standing with some conviction, you're going to be overwhelmed by the tide of all of this stuff that are in these scriptures. But if there's some convictions, having done all to stand, stand therefore and hold some convictions and rise up with an attitude of revival and say we've got our greater vocation got a greater work, You got a greater depth, there will be attacks on your faithfulness. Thank God for those that are in the house of God tonight. Amen. Let's clap our hands and thank God for everybody that came into this place tonight. Faithfulness. Praise <laughs> God. We just had a funeral for Sister Laverne Wilson. If you want to describe somebody, she was faithful, 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 67 years. 67 years in this church at GBFPC. Faithful, faithful. She didn't miss church. I'm sure there were disappointments in life. (laughs) I'm sure there were ups and downs, but she was faithful to the house of God. If we're going to be a church with a greater vocation, we're going to have to be faithful. Praise God. You're here in the house of God tonight, so I'm preaching to the choir, but let me just say it anyway. We need to be faithful to the house of God. When there is church, we need to be at church. We, we we don't need to have other options. Well, you know, tonight I may or may not go. Or no, we need to be the house. Of, we need to be the house of God every time the doors are open. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, if you can get here, Tuesday night. These are things that are important. Your faithfulness is directly connected to how we're going to have revival and move this thing forward. Look. We didn't get here by people who were unfaithful. Thank God for some elders that had some grit and some tenacity and said, I don't care what happens around me. I'm going to be in the house of God. I'm going to be faithful. Our world system tries to erode that. It doesn't really matter if you get there or you don't get there. And then that attitude breeds, and then pretty soon you're not coming to church like you need to come to church. You're not filled up with the Holy Ghost like you need to be filled up with the Holy Ghost. Ministries in the church are not operating as effective because you're not being effective because you're not faithful. And and we went through a situation where a lot of churches, people stopped going, and they've never come back to the church. We need to defy that spirit. We kept coming to church during all of that, and thank God for God's help through all of that. And I understand their circumstances and what have you that people uh, deal with, but people never came back to the house of God. Churches are closing down and selling their buildings because when a little bit of distress hits somebody, they said, you know what, church is not really important, and they lost miserably. We can't let that happen. We're coming up on 80 years, and if the Lord tarries, we need to go another 80 years, and if that's going to happen, there has to be faithful people. Mom and dad, get to church, get to church, get to church. Even if your kids are not coming to church, get to church. You know why? Because you're setting an example and you're praying a memorial prayer. I'm coming to church, they're not here, but one of these days they're going to be here. And if I check out and I'm not here, then what is the possibility of them ever getting back into the house of God? So I'm coming and I'm worshiping and I'm praising God because I'm setting an example of faithfulness. threats to erosion vision focus separation holiness morality our world is it's always been a threat i said well 2023 things are worse things are there are there are definitely things in our world percentage wise generally that is that is on the scene it may not have been in the past, but in the past, some of those threats were so great <clears throat> that the church was under intense persecution. And so we have to, because we have a, a greater vocation, we have to weather every one of those storms, and we cannot be compromised by the lies of the world or the spirit of the age. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1 gives us a reason why we can't. You, hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins where in time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others but God. Who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved and hath raised us up together. Watch this and made us sit together where? <laughs> he made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're in the church. We're in the church. God has called us to a greater vocation. Secondly, things that have always been threats to the forward movement is schisms, which means to tear or to rip. The inward strife sometimes creates schisms that becomes a great threat in the church. And it's always there and the opportunity is always going to be there. Most people that backslide the majority of them, there's been no case studies, uh, statistically analyzed, so I'm generally speaking, but I think if somehow you were able to do the statistical analysis, people leave church more because of what has happened in personal conflicts. It's not necessarily because of doctrinal things, but because of personal issues and struggles and conflicts. Sometimes it happens because kids get in a scrum And then parents get involved and the kids make up and they're they're fine. But parents sometimes takes a long time. And the internal strife of schisms has always been a struggle in the church. As a matter of fact, Paul said to the church in Corinth in first Corinthians chapter one, verse 10. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them, which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now, this I say that every one of you saith, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius in the Corinthian church. There were some saying we're part of Paul and we're part of. We're a part of Cephas, Peter. We're a part of Christ. We're a part of Apollos. And Paul said, this is this is a conflict because Jesus is the one that we're all connected into. And he is the one that died for the church. And so he says further in chapter three, verse number three, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 25 as he this is a theme of the church in Corinth. So either even in the later chapters he said there should be no schism in the body but that members should have the same care one for another and whether one member suffer all the members suffer with it or one member be honored all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. Forces that array against the greater vocation that we as a church must make our way through with wisdom and understanding and knowledge. Praise God. Feelings and distrust and fear and offenses will always be a battle that we will have to face and overcome. What do you say? We overcome it together and we be unified in Jesus. Praise God. We don't want we don't want groups. We don't want Schisms. We don't want every every once in a while, I can remember going all the way back, 36 to no youth pastor. There were some parents that, well, it just matters who you are and who you're not, what family you're a part of, what family you're not a part of, what kind of money you have and, and this or that. Listen, that is that is that's Paul saying that's being carnal. And maybe there's some people that don't understand and they try to use their blessings as leverage, but they're wrong and God will judge them. So let God deal with them. But in terms of the unity and the thrust and the movement of the church, we're having revival. Let's continue to push the ball forward because we've got a greater vocation. Praise God. I want to go a step further. There's going to be things that happen in the church. Things break apart, fall apart. There's ripple effects. And if you're not careful, you can get sucked into some of that. I'm challenging you, and the word is challenging you here tonight. Be somebody that prays. Be somebody that fasts. Be somebody that is a support. But don't get sucked into the damage and devastation of something that is not pushing the church forward. Well, that family split up and and, and fell apart in a million pieces. Don't get so sucked into that happening that you don't see the greater vocation of revival must continue. We're sorry that happened. We grieve because that happened. But the church, the church, I've got a vocation. I can't get stuck over here in all of this. I'm praying for you. I want the best for you. But the church, church has got to go forward. There's people still coming in that need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Our altars are filled with people that are hurting and hungry. We've got to reach them and we can't get sidetracked. Hey Amen. Is this okay tonight? Praise God. A greater vocation, a greater vocation, a greater vocation. Lastly, you have the external pressures. That's the world trying to insert. Paul said in one particular place, he talked about all the things that he struggled with. He talked about things on the outside. He talked about things on the inside. So there's an external pressure that tries to erode the identity of the church. Then I just mentioned there are internal pressures on top of that. And so sometimes it's... (laughs) It can be a roller coaster because you got the threat of the world, and then you got internal pressure as well. And then there's personal dissonance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul said, I recognize there are external things coming my way on the outside. We have political powers, governments. We have a culture. We have a world that is sensual. It's trying everything it to, to make inroads into the church. And so I'm preaching and teaching. I'm trying to ward off that. Then I also it's over here is Corinth. We've got Chloe and Apollos and Peter and Jesus dealing with that as well. And then he said, despite all of that, I've got to make sure that my heart is right. Because if I don't make sure that my personal walk with God is right, I myself could become a castaway. He recognized the necessity of examining his own decisions and the consequences that are connected to those decisions. This is one of the most frightening things that could ever happen is when a a person is making personal decisions that are going to have ramifications. And the seed that they are planting is going to produce a long-lasting crop of consequences. It is so very, very heartbreaking. When somebody has made a decision, personal dissonance in their own life, we're not talking about it may be influenced by the external and the internal, but ultimately it's an individual that has allowed themselves to become cold and indifferent and hard hearted and God can't reach and God can't plow through. And and this is a dangerous place because then they start making decisions and they make decisions that plant seeds that are long lasting in their effects and the consequences are long lasting. And sometimes the only resolution to some of the decisions they've made is death. They could go back, rethink and redo. But, you know, sometimes it's like a genie coming out of a box. You can't cram it back in there. And so God may forgive and God may do a work. But it's, it's not the same because there are things that you want to go back to. There are places that you feel comfortable. There are things that you, you've associated with all your life. And now it's gone. And you realize those consequences because of the things that I've planted and, and the outcropping of that is a devastating thing. I pray for everybody in this place that you're not making decisions that have long-lasting consequences. I wish I could make them decisions for you. I wish I could open up your head and get in there and make right decisions, but it doesn't work that way, does it? It doesn't work that way everybody's got their own free will they can make their own choice I'm just coming to you tonight from the word of God and the word of God is here tonight to help you understand my walk with God is the most important thing no matter what the external pressure is or the internal pressure I got to make sure I work out my salvation with fear and trembling because there is nothing worth being lost over say, oh, Pastor, you don't understand how bad it was. There's nothing worth being lost over. Personal dissonance. As the musicians come tonight. Luke chapter 9, verse 25 says, For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Second Corinthians chapter thirteen verse five states, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves, know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. <laughs>
1: Woo! Man, 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 man.
0: talked to somebody just recently who's pastoring, and they said, well, I think the honeymoon's over. I said, what are you getting? External pressure, internal pressure, and it's really affecting my mind. It's all the things we've talked about here tonight. So there may be moments in that that you say, you know, if somebody would have told me, I would have never been interested in signing up. And yet the flip side of that is you gotta keep moving forward, you gotta keep your head up, you gotta have good focus and good vision. Why? Because you got a greater vocation. God's called you. That vocation is greater than a physician, that's greater than a lawyer, that's greater than a counselor. That's it's the highest vocation that you could ever step into. So where sometimes you may feel disappointed and you may feel frustrated and all of those things, recognize God has called you to something that's greater than anything else in the world and that alone should help you stay above water, recognizing that I may have some personal dissonance and problems but God has called me to something that is powerful and great and I get to be in the kingdom of God I'm not forced to be in the kingdom of God I'm here because I want to sign me up because I want the king of kings directing my life I'm trying to help somebody tonight. I'm trying to help myself tonight. That's one advantage sometimes that preachers get. As they can preach messages like this, where you look yourself in the mirror, you step into a pulpit and you say, God, you called me to a greater vocation. I don't have time to gripe and complain and moan. Certainly don't have time to go talk about all the people and what they're doing and how terrible they are and how insignificant step into a pulpit and say, God's called people from absolute hell. And he is bringing them and ushering them into the kingdom of God. They got a great vocation and they're stepping out in faith and authority and revival is going to happen because God's in the business of doing signs, miracles, and wonders. And you're sitting on a church pew here tonight and you are the signs and the miracles and wonders. Don't let the enemy tell you any different. You're sitting there even here tonight and you're asking yourself, What is the point? Why am I even here? I'll tell you why you're here. You're here because you've got a greater vocation. That's why you're here. Yeah, but what are the results? It doesn't matter what the results are. God didn't call you based on results. He called you to a greater vocation so that you could live and be what he wants you to be and be the hands and the feet. Not everybody followed Jesus. They left him. He didn't have one convert was resurrected afterward and he met with the disciples, everybody left him. Did he give up the great vocation? Absolutely not. If Jesus, if I believe this, if there was only one person in the world that would have accepted salvation in the cross, Jesus would have gone to the cross for one person. more than one person here tonight and God's still calling us to greater things. Praise God. Could you hear, could you hear the motivation and the inspiration of a pastor here tonight trying to tell you, you are a part of something that is awesome and something that is powerful. You are not being left behind. You may be disappointed, but even in the disappointments, God has called you to something greater. And that is the greater vocation. Hallelujah. Come on. Let him him encourage you tonight as we stand to our feet. Let him encourage you tonight. Praise God. Let there be a hope that comes into your spirit tonight. The enemy may be trying his very best through external and internal pressures. And then in my own mind, I feel like I'm upside down in the house of God tonight. The spirit of God is here to reveal to you that God is greater than any problem. Hallelujah. He's here to bring healing and strength to your mind and encouragement and edification to you. Praise God. Let's lift our hands together here in the system. Praise God. I want you to make a commitment here tonight if I'm preaching to you tonight I want you to make a commitment I want you to step out of your pew and walk to this front and say you you got me these are things I'm struggling with and facing and I needed this message to help me lift my vision off of everything that I'm seeing presently and lift my eyes to greater things and the kingdom of God and the priority and the calling of God in my life come on as close as you can up here hallelujah god's going to strengthen you and encourage you tonight before you leave tonight you're going to leave with a little more clarity god you've been good to me you've been faithful to me you've been merciful to me so i praise you thank you hallelujah praise god press your way in if you have to move around somebody come right to the front and lift up your hands and say lord this is a crazy world that we live in but you're faithful Something I want to be a part of it. I say yes to it. Hallelujah. Amen. Look around you. There's somebody close by you. Amen. Encourage them in the Lord. The Bible says that we should provoke one another to good works. Amen. Say an encouraging word to them. Bless you. Have a great week this week.